0: Hey black widow weaving wisdom in your web, share with me the secrets that my ancestors left, whisper words of truth that'll ground me to the core. Set my heart on fire, I'll be idle no
1: more. Black Widow, Black Widow, Black Widow. Aloha mai and welcome to Thrive in Resilience. My name is Noelle Kalei Kalaonu Oko'oi and I am the host of this podcast. Today is a very special day. It's Juneteenth and I'm extremely fortunate to have um, a cool person with me to share this time and space and talk to us more about um, taking where they're from, to be where they are, and to have hope for the future. Uh, I hope you all enjoy this, and without further ado, um, I present to you Dr. Unique Shaw Smith. Hey. hey. Alright, cool okay so my first question um as you all know I do eight kind of standard questions and then I do eight fire questions and they're going to be the same questions for everyone and I think about this sometimes because Unique goes like oh should I go listen to the last podcast so I can know the questions and I was like <laughs> I mean if you need to but it's kind of great to just talk from where you are and where you're at and not kind of make your answers adapted to whoever was on here before
0: i was just trying to be prepared
1: yes and also maybe just be more normal
0: i gotta shoot from the hip now yeah i mean that's
1: hey noel's all yolo so
0: (laughs) (laughs) it kind of matches the flow okay so
1: my first question is how are we connected
0: in spirit love and
1: truth (laughs) No, but really. (laughs) Oh,
0: shit. This is going to be one of those. Um, You are...
1: Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. I just said SHIT.
0: It's okay. We're human. And it's one of... It's about to be one of those shows. So, I have the pleasure of calling you my sister-in-law via my brother. And you are the mother of my beautiful nieces. And, you know, more than that, I think... We, connect, we really do connect in spirit, for real. Yeah, Unique real is
1: life. born on September 1st, or 2nd? 1st. 1st. September 1st. <laughs> it's
0: the first of the month. And I'm born
1: on September 4th, so there's also that.
0: A lot in common with our Virgo sun signs.
1: And um, I don't know if she remembers this story, but it's a really funny story of how actually Kenny and I started talking. Is Kenny, we had to go around in a class we were in, and Kenny's like, we all had to share something interesting about ourselves. And I, of course, shared my super long middle name. And I was like, well, this is pretty interesting because it's abnormal. And Kenny's like, there's nothing interesting about me except I have a sister named Unique. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this guy is joking. Like, just, like, why he didn't would he,
0: even make it about him.
1: He didn't even make it about him. He was like, oh, my sister's name is Unique. And thus, I am Unique.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean. So that was pretty.
1: That was like my first introduction to Unique was via her brother saying, her cool sis- his cool sister's name was unique.
0: And then you met me and I lived up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you
1: definitely one in a million, yeah. you know, to say the least. And I think Appreciate we'll all, that. we'll all learn more about you being that one in a million via our talk tonight. All right. So tell us the story behind this name, like your whole name. Tell us your, oh. your name story.
0: So first, I would like to say that my mom has four children, and I am the only one with my own name. Everyone else is named after someone. My brother's named after our dad. My older brother's named after his dad. And my sister is named after my grandma. So like when you think about my name being unique, it really is unique. And when I ask them about the story of my name... My mom told me my dad came up with it. And it's a kind of interesting origin because I guess they were having issues during my mom's pregnancy and they were separated. And my mom was not talking to my dad. And so he called and left her a voicemail and said, I want to name her unique. And so that's kind of how that came about. And then on the day I was born, the horoscope said, if you are born on September 1st, you are unique. And it was confirmation. My dad gave me the newspaper, so I have that at my house. Uh, but when I went back to ask him, I was like, you know, where did the name came come from? He just said, well, I just knew if I wanted, if I had a daughter, I wanted her to be Unique. And so I think he said, well, I'm just go with Unique as a name. Dang. Yeah. I'm out here. <laughs> <laughs> and then your other parts of your name. Oh, yeah. and then, so Unique, Raylene Shaw hyphen smith um, my middle name me and my brother my dad's. My brother's a junior so him and my dad have the same name and my dad's middle name is Raymond and my middle name is Raylene so I don't know I, I've never asked him why we both had Ray in our middle name but I, in having children I had a conversation with my brother and we established that we wanted to keep the tradition going so we have that all of our kids and hopefully their kids will have ray in the middle name which is really you know pretty cool to keep that lineage alive because usually when people get married they take on the name of their spouse and so then hence why i have a hyphenated last name but when i got married i was like you know what I'm the first in my family to go to college, the first in my family to get a PhD, so I kind of want to keep my name, you mm-hmm. know? And I want to honor that and give my family that ability to take pride in and what I've accomplished, too. So that's why I have a hyphen. Nice.
1: And then also to remain connected to your son in that way, too.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, I have a hyphen. He doesn't have a hyphen. He has two last names, so oh. it kind of made it hard for him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. He's, he's, he's a... He will,
1: he's got a, I mean, one day maybe I'll have uh, Seven on the show, because he could tell a pretty interesting story about his own life.
0: Yeah. That'd be pretty dope, isn't it? Yeah, and my son's name is Seven, because I wanted him to have a unique name that had meaning. Yeah. And so.
1: I think maybe when he turns seven, he can be on Thrive and Resilience.
0: So he has about seven months.
1: No, he doesn't.
0: He's He's six. He's going to turn seven in about seven months. Holy shoot. I know. It's his year. It's his year to shine, so.
1: 2021. Yeah. Seven will be seven in 2021. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. All right. So, the next question where are you from?
0: Oakland, California. East Oakland, to be exact. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, um, we lived in an apartment on Olive Street, 9311 Olive Street. When I go back home to visit my family, I always drive by because it just helps me put things in perspective. When you're younger, Everything seems so big. And when I go back now, I'm like, bro, <laughs> we lived in this small ass apartment where only one car could kind of go in the driveway at a time. But I have a lot of good memories there. My dad used to pull his speaker out on the balcony and play music for all the kids in the apartment complex. And we would just be out late after dark, you know, uh, we put tents in the backyard I remember one time we all, like all the kids in our apartment, we slept in the tent. So the boys were in one tent and the girls went in another tent. And then in the middle of the night, we must have all decided that we wanted to go in the house. <laughs> we <laughs> left. I think we left my sister. She was the only one. She woke up the next morning by herself. But, um, yeah, so Oakland. And then we moved to Southern California, to San Jacinto,
1: mm-hmm.
0: really small town. But, um yeah, so my childhood and growing up, I'm kind of split. Half between East Oakland and half between San Jacinto. So, I'm from Oakland. My family still resides there. But I also have to acknowledge that I grew up in a different part, too.
1: And what was it like? This is just a continuation of, like, where are you from? Like, what was San Jacinto like for you? And, I mean, you're you're not still connected to those places in the same way. So, you know, mm-hmm. where are you from? Your San Jacinto experience and then... From there, you yeah. Know? Well, let
0: me just tell you, growing up in Oakland, a little black girl, surrounded by black people, and all of that, going to Santa Jacinto was a culture shock. I remember, it must have been over a month before we seen another person of color, and at the time we moved there, it was 1997, 96, 97. It was still largely a white retirement town, so it was like nothing but old people, and I never really encountered old old white people in my life before then <laughs> so it's kind of like <laughs> all right you know where are the kids and where are the people who look like me right. so that was the biggest thing for me kind of like where the hell did we end up and yeah. why you know
1: and how old were you when you guys moved to South? um i was in the, the
0: i was in the end of the fourth grade so however old that is i don't
1: i don't really know either
0: i just remember i came and there was like a month left of school Wow.
1: So that's that's pretty. Sh- I mean, like you, you're so developed already. If you're already in the fourth grade, I think you're maybe ten, right? Yeah. Ten or eleven. Sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I mean, your your ability to kind of recognize and see those things is yeah Pretty far already.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting. And the reason we moved to San Jacinto of all places is because my older brother got caught up in some trouble and in oakland it ended up in a group home in yucaipa and so my mom had family in san Jacinto, and so she didn't want to be that far away from my brother so she just relocated the whole family which it was our time i guess you know we were kind of bouncing around in oakland living place to place but so that's how we ended up specifically in san Jacinto. i remember telling my class that i was moving and i went to Emory's cox it's no longer E. Morse Cox. I think it's like Cox Academy or some kind of charter school now. But um, in explaining to my fourth grade class that I'm going to be moving, the teacher busted out a map and was like, show us on the map where you're going to move. And I remember I used to say San Jacinto. <laughs> and then I moved there. I was like, oh, the J is silent. So, so
1: it's a Django.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> the D is silent. Yeah. <laughs> oh shoot yeah
1: we're working on that
0: yeah um but yeah up until fourth grade I had nothing but black teachers and I think early on that was really really monumental for me because I learned Langston Hughes poems that I still can recite to this day dang you know and that was a beautiful thing and then to like just have all that kind of shift
1: Mm mhm so you you, yeah that's that's really big to have grown up in your culture in like with people that look like you and that's essentially kind of why I want to move the girls to Hawaii you know that's one of the parts of it is to have people that look yeah. like her and um that she can foster that cool. and, um yeah okay so in Isano, life there was like one brown person and mm-hmm. a bunch of old white people.
0: A bunch of yeah, old white people and cows. Like you know, you're in San Jacinto when you smell the um the cows, and I remember I was like, "What is that smell?" And you know, realizing it's cow shit. Sorry, <laughs> but also people like, "Oh, that's money." Mm mm. I don't like that. And then when the wind blows, it get all in your nose hairs. Um, but yeah, so that's where you're from.
1: Yeah, beautiful. I'm. I, I appreciate that story I appreciate knowing because I you know I didn't have any concept of like oh unique was this age when she moved and she had had this experience growing up in Oakland and that makes sense like seeing the trajectory of the rest of your life you know your your Oakland experience was really positive especially having mm. Mm.
0: well I, don't I mean say positive all the way
1: maybe like fostered like you were fostered in Oakland yeah. by not just like your parental adults but like your schooling adults too. So that makes sense to me why you um fall into education so hard too. Like yeah. that's an outlet because you had people who fostered that side of you.
0: Yeah, definitely. And when I think about, you know, my journey to education, it was really because well when I was young can I tell a story? Yeah, go ahead. All right. When I was younger, my Parents thought that I couldn't speak. Like I guess I, I wasn't like the normal developing kid that would say words and stuff. I was just really quiet. And when I think about it, I like to think, you know, I was a sociologist at an early age, you know, just observing everything and taking it all in. And it wasn't until my brother was born, and we're probably like a year and a half, um, when he started taking all the attention then I started talking in broken sentences. But for me, I always was very aware of the things that were going on around me and In a way, it made me grow up faster than I should have at that age, but school was kind of like a safe haven for me, Mm. and when I learned to read, and I was reading books that were completely different than what I was experiencing in my life, I just Mm. kind of got lost in it, and my dad bought us Hooked on Phonics, and I remember we used to do it almost religiously like Mm. every night, and I would read stories and so that was an escape for me. Mm. And it just really developed my love of learning and helped me see the world bigger than Oakland. And I don't think a lot of people who, um, you know, grow up in kind of like inner city poverty get to experience things outside of their neighborhood. And reading allowed me to transcend those boundaries. Mm. So... And it got me to where I am today, you know? Yeah. I always think about um, Chimamandi Adichie. She did the TED Talk, The Danger of a Single Story. Mm -hmm. And she talks about that. And even in her own journey, reading books Mm -hmm. and thinking that she couldn't exist in books, you Mm -hmm. know, because all the books were by a certain type of person, Mm -hmm. about certain things. And so really just being exposed to that at an early age was influential to where I am today.
1: Yeah, that's huge. That's really huge. Oh. Mahalo reading, Mahalo for creating paths and outlets, you know, and Mahalo for your dad for just making that small investment that really paid dividends for both of you, uh, you and Kenny for sure. Okay. So where are you now?
0: I am um, in San Diego. (laughs) Where do I live now?
1: Where are you now? Like how,
0: how are you? I'm in this beautiful black skin.
1: Where are you now? and th- however you want to answer that question
0: where am i now i am oh in transition i'm always in transition but i'm here i am in california i don't get my city out but you know southern california
1: <laughs> you already said san diego so you know oh yeah you already mapped yourself yeah, a little bit like a in little your bit so Some, i'm
0: somewhere in the vicinity of san diego <laughs> And um, yeah, I'm, I'm in this transition period. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, which is weird because, I mean, for the past four years, I was an assistant professor at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And I just, I, after four years, really three or so, knowing that I didn't feel like that was my place, I never really felt like I belonged. And I'm like, if I don't feel that now, you know and then the experiences that i had i had to go for the sake of myself and my son so transitioning back to southern california and working but trying to return to my passion which is education you know Mm -hmm. so it's a journey and i have some things in the making that i'm excited about
1: which leads me to my next question where are you going
0: I'm going, going...
1: Back. Well, you...
0: Back, back to to teaching, teaching. But not in a traditional sense, you know. I think there's a lot of... hmm, I respect the institutions of education, you know, and what they try to do. But at the same time, I think that it's very exclusionary... And I want people to have access to learning and education at the community level, you know. So I want to use my, my skills, expertise, or talents to help educate my communities. So I want to make that accessible to them. And while I think college and universities are very useful for getting degrees which are kind of necessary at this point for certain types of jobs I don't like I'm not going to make my son go to a college or a university if he doesn't want to Mm -hmm. because I think if you are passionate about something then the knowledge is out there you Mm -hmm. just have to pursue it Mm -hmm. so I just want to kind of help synthesize some of the information that I have in a way or in a place where people can access it.
1: Yeah. What have you seen specifically that's telling you a need exists for this?
0: I mean, currently, you know, it's Juneteenth. So in the middle of kind of like a, what they're calling this, a new civil rights era or movement. But this is the first time where I've seen a mass amount of people celebrating and embracing Juneteenth and Juneteenth and Kwanzaa are things that I've, have, like, I've embraced and I have been kind of celebrating for the past few years and I hope that people continue to carry this excitement about these traditions forward um, but it is at the same time very revealing that a lot of people are just now learning about juneteenth or just now learning about you know um tulsa oklahoma and black wall street so are just now learning about what racism is you know and privilege and how it works at the institutional and and at the individual level so we haven't spoken about this yet but i'm trained in sociology and criminology and so a lot of what i talk about and what I teach about discusses social interactions and groups and how um, those things really influence the lived experiences and of people and where they are, why they are where they are. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that information that I have will be very useful to helping people understand the world as we see it and how it's unraveling yeah. too and what they need to do to help kind yeah. of dismantle these, these institutions that have continued to oppress people over time
1: yeah and the word that's coming into my mind when you're saying that is empathy Mm -hmm. right because if people are able to see the sociological perspective and you don't have to say it in that way right like that's Mm -hmm. the that's the educational institutional way of saying that in the box right Right. but if you're like no just hear this story Mm -hmm. and then you'll be able to like have more empathy and from there move because if you can't empathize yet You don't know.
0: And that is one of the things, too, especially when we think about race and ethnicity and how it's portrayed in the United States. I teach this class, Race and Ethnicity in the Criminal Justice System, and one of the things that we talk about is the differences in how these narratives are depicted in the media. So, when we compare maybe crimes that are committed by people of color versus crimes that are committed by white people, and how oftentimes the media humanizes the white person and talks about, you know, oh, they struggled with depression or they were abused as a child and all these things which are actually relevant in understanding crime and how people get to that, but when it comes to the people of color, they don't often share those same mm-hmm. details and it helps people relate to the white person mm-hmm. easier because they're like, oh, I too struggle with depression, mm-hmm. I know what that feels like, mm-hmm. or I too have been bullied and it, it helps them establish that empathy and when you can have empathy for someone you don't want to throw the book at them Mm -hmm. all the time you know you want them to get help Mm -hmm. and so we see them from that perspective as oh they need help whereas when that same story is not applied to other groups we see them as more sinister like Mm -hmm. a criminal and and when we perceive someone to be more criminal then the 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 punishment is justified Mm -hmm. at that point Mm -hmm. so I forgot the question.
1: No, that was. It was about <laughs> empathy, and you, oh, yeah, empathy. You did a good yeah. job of laying so, that out.
0: And the thing that I love teaching is theory. And people always, I don't like theory. Theory's hard. I'm like, theory just seeks to explain why. Mm-hmm. You know? If you wonder why people commit crimes or why they do the things that they do, that's theory. Every time mm-hmm. we ask a question why, we're, we're trying to understand a theoretical perspective. Mm-hmm. So.
1: But, I mean, that theory is always individualized at some point. Like, that theory, like a portion of the theory might apply to me here, but Mm -hmm. not here. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, that's why we have multiple theories
0: that exist in explaining things. So, yeah.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how where you're going is going to look like and be and be formatted in a way that's digestible to... Um, to all levels right because we know that we don't really know what the future of the institutions in which you train that will be available to people and the Mm -hmm. accessibility Um, so I'm really looking forward to this and and supporting you in that okay so my next question what is your superpower
0: Mm, I'm a black woman in America that's a superpower a black woman mother in America. So...
1: Black woman mother healer in America.
0: Black woman mother healer teacher.
1: Teacher.
0: Poet extraordinaire. No. <laughs>
1: Hairstylist. Am I? No, yeah, because you tell me you want to do the girl's hair, and I was like, good luck. Uh, good luck. Stop
0: it. Um. <laughs> Have you seen them? <laughs> yeah, so... I think, you know, all of all of my identities and the fact that I'm still here, Mm. still pushing, still breathing, still, you know, fighting. That's a superpower. Mm -hmm. A lot of people wouldn't be able to do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people haven't done it. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess my ability to see something and go after it, mm-hmm. you know, ha- having like a tenacious yeah, spirit. Yeah, tenacity. Yeah, yeah. Super bad. Yeah,
1: um, Monique was like super pregnant when she was. Don't finished- say super like that. I
0: mean, <laughs> she was really pregnant. I was far along. You
1: were far along, <laughs> hey man. I'm not gonna like sugarcoat what pregnancy is. Right. So I'm, I'm gonna bring a new mom on one of these ones, and it's just. I was like baby
0: Fiona up in here though. Yeah,
1: and that was how you finished your doctorate. Oh, you yeah, were, you were really pregnant. I was like and finishing your doctorate. Mm-hmm. That was that was some magical moments.
0: Yeah, that was kind of like the push I needed to finish. Yeah. Like, I gotta finish this before this baby come.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Seven. Yeah. Um. So next question: How do you practice grace with yourself, others, or the work that you do?
0: Practice grace with myself. I think I just remind myself that I'm only one person, and while one person can make a difference, I don't have to change the whole world. Mm -hmm. You know, I think putting things in perspective, and I'm definitely a person that believes that starting small and small interactions make a big difference, Mm -hmm. and so... Even if I don't accomplish these huge things, I set in motion mm-hmm. other things that are ultimately going to be a catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. And I try to remind other people to do that as well because I think we all kind of hold ourselves to a higher degree.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: when you're able to be transparent and vulnerable in your own shortcomings, it allows other people the space to mm. show themselves grace too. Mm. And remind us that we're human, you yeah. know? What I love, I always think, because Brene Brown has been one of my teachers, and in her book, hmm, what is it? Rising Strong? She talks about how it's easy to critique when you're not in the arena. Right. You know? It's, yeah,
1: you're not the man with the marred face. Yeah. Like, that's who, who you're you in should. the audience. Yeah. You
0: know, you're just looking. And... But when you show up, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. That's a big deal to actually show up. And we have to give ourselves credit for showing up. And Mm -hmm. even when we fall, you know, Mm -hmm. I like that she says, when you fall, don't be so quick to get back up. Mm -hmm. Take stock, look around, Mm -hmm. see how it feels so that you remember that and use that kind of moving forward. And so everything that I've experienced in my life, I always tell people, I'm an open book, you know, mm-hmm. because I know that my stories can help other people.
1: Mm. Stories are medicine.
0: Yeah.
1: About it. What are you grateful for?
0: So let me tell you, I'm grateful for the Brujas of Brooklyn. Wait, is that what they're called? Yeah. <laughs> because I was listening to their live, um, this like their live on Instagram, and somebody... Was it there? Yeah, it was there live, I'm pretty sure. Somebody was saying, they they said their grandma used to always say, what if you woke up tomorrow only with what you were grateful for today? And that was really powerful for me because I think it's easy to be like, oh, I'm grateful for one thing, you know, and kind of keep it pushing. And that's how we practice gratitude. But it's like, no. Like you really have to practice gratitude constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, in every kind of moment and situation that you find yourself in because what if we woke up tomorrow and I'm like, Well, I'm only great I only have this because it's the only thing I was grateful for yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm grateful for, you know, just breath. If we if we didn't have this air that we breathe, we wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is like our life force energy, this this breathing. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for family. I'm grateful for friends. I'm grateful for food, you know, for house, all the, all the things that have, that sustained me, Mm. you know, I'm grateful for, and I'm grateful for my blessings the things that I have that are beyond what I need. Mm -hmm. Um, but in this moment, in the time of COVID and in the time of, you know, our fight for liberation and justice, I'm grateful that there's movement, Mm. you know? And that people are coming together mm. in a way that we and my generation haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. So that's promising. It gives me hope. And it's something to, you know, kind of acknowledge too. Because I think so so often we focus on all the work that still has to mm-hmm. be done. That we don't really stop to reflect and to take stock of like what we've already done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't want what we have to do to the work that still has to be done to invalidate, you know, the roads we've already traveled because mm-hmm. we have come a long way. Mm-hmm. So and I, I mean,
1: on top of that, like what you're doing right now, like the fact that you're here, moving, breathing, like. Yeah. Be able to even say the words that are coming out of yeah. your mouth. Like yeah. that's a big deal. hmm
0: yeah. Abled body. Able body. You know. Yeah. So I am grateful for all those things.
1: Hmm. All right, All um, right. Here's the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Already? We're done? Yeah.
0: What? Let me ask you some questions. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, um, I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about
0: before, um, we, before we get out? I mean, well, it's your time. If you insist. I mean. no, <laughs>
1: <laughs> But you really can. Um, I guess I, I do have a follow-up question. Like, where did you learn gratitude from? Where did you learn? Because for some people, gratitude is difficult. You know, and knowing like having gratitude, and knowing that gratitude fills your cup, mm-hmm. like right where you are. Mm-hmm. Where'd you learn that, and how do you I wanna, uh, how do you instill that in younger children? Right? Yeah, like yeah. how do we do that for? All right, one question at a time. Sorry, please. <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a tag team. Yeah,
0: I mean, so. I like when I when I reflect on my life. Sometimes I notice that the lessons I learned are have or have taken place or originated through lack mm. through the lack of instruction or through the lack of guidance on those things like i said i've i've been an observer since i was a young kid mm-hmm. and i remember thinking another reason why education was so intriguing to me is because I didn't see anyone else in my family really into it mm-hmm. you know I've never seen anyone else reading mm-hmm. or you know anything and so I was like okay this has to be this has to be something that's gonna end up different right you know and so that was a big thing and I learned that because there was an absence of that right. so but I will say I've learned to practice gratitude because I had to be grateful for what I had because we didn't have a lot mm-hmm. you know and I was lucky to get certain things um, at certain times in my life, and that really helped me to be grateful for the things that I have and mm-hmm. the things I worked for. Mm-hmm. Because I started working when I was sixteen, and you have a different you—you you value things differently when you have to work hard for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always try to tell my son that. You know, it's easy to kind of treat your toys this way when you didn't pay for them. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and helping him, I always try to put things in perspective. But I think for little kids, it's hard to understand things that they they haven't experienced. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like I'm trying to get him to eat all his food at the table. Right. I'm like, you know, how many kids are starving out here right. who don't have this to eat, who don't have healthy food to eat? And he's just like, I don't like this. Yeah, you know, but um, but yeah, trying to get him exposed to different things so that he can see you are fortunate, Mm -hmm. you know, and you are blessed and mommy and daddy work really hard to give you these things because we didn't have them when we were growing Mm -hmm. up and trying to create that for him but also, you know, trying to find a balance because you don't want to be this little (laughs) snotty nose, like (sighs) I don't know, but anyway
1: Yeah, I think about how I learned gratitude, Um, like one of the big ways I remember gratitude is like just learning how to pray Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, how I grew up with Christianity in the household, like, when you pray, you always give thanks first. Mm-hmm. So that was part of just, like, you know, the the muscle memory of that. But my grandfather, my dad's dad, always had us writing thank you cards. Mm. Like,
0: you still do that.
1: I still do that. Yeah. Um, but, like, it was, if you didn't send a thank you card, you would get a letter in the mail, like, remember your thank, where was your thank you card? And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Having that that influence, and that is huge accountability, and I think, um, you know, the lack thereof in your life and moving forward, it's like, how do I help hold accountable, like, seven? Because, you know, I don't think you should have to do any of it on your own. I don't think any of us are put here to do it on our own, just like we're not supposed to learn all the things you have to share on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, We need help learning those things, you know, so... Yeah. Anyway, that's my thought. I do I have another circle back um if you don't want to do rapid fire yet. But I do have a circle back because I was thinking about my own thriving resilience story and a big thing for me was going away to college. Like that was a huge turning point and we talk about like how we don't necessarily want our kids to go to college like you, unless you want to go to college, but mm-hmm. for me I was like I'm so glad I went to college because I became my own. It was part of my like unleash my becoming process. Do you feel like that was the same for you? Or, like, how do you help make that an option for your kids, you know? Like, how do they... I don't know. I guess what's your story of what going to college meant Mm -hmm. and, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, Seven has already been exposed to college. His first, what, four, five years of his life was spent kind of on the college Mm -hmm. campus because I was teaching. And so I remember one day he came to class with me. And that's a whole nother story in itself, but he sat in the front seat of the class, and I thought he was drawing, and we got back to his office, he said, mommy, look, and I looked at his paper, and it said fear defense, and I was talking about police and the fear defense that day in class, and he really took notes with his (laughs) four-year-old self and i was so impressed by that so i think that he'll definitely be interested in it just because he has been exposed mm-hmm. at an early age and he knows mommy's a teacher mm-hmm. you know and i'm always going to be a teacher right. in some way or form so but in my own college experience i knew that i i just even though no one else in my family had gone to college i just knew that i was yeah you know that was the path that i had before me yeah. And and it wasn't even that someone had to convince me. It just was like, this is logical for me to do. I love education. Mm-hmm. You know, I love being in school. I'm just going to keep it going. Mm-hmm. So I went to undergrad. And even though, I, you know, that was in my path when I got there and I was close to graduation, I was like, okay, I did it. You know, I'm done. I can say I went to college. And it wasn't until I met one of my mentors was like, hey, have you thought about grad school? And I was like, no, because this was the goal. Like... <laughs> isn't this what I work you know and I graduated in 2009 which is in the middle of a recession and it made sense you know like go to grad school which I had applied you know it's a whole process that you have to prepare for so yeah and I got into a PhD program but it wasn't until it was two two of my mentors were like you you should go to grad school Mm. you know this is something that I could see you doing you have you know the interest the passion Mm. etc and it wasn't until they spoke life of that mm. that I was like, "Yeah, you're right. This does make a lot of sense for me." Mm. But my experience in the education, the higher educational system, was kind of just like a process of trial and error. You know, I didn't have anyone guiding me in, or even really a level of support that would have helped me. I remember i would tell this funny story. So I was supposed supposed to go to Howard. Mm-hmm. That was my dream. I'm like, I'm going to Howard. I want to go to an HBCU. And you and know, for the
1: people who don't know what Howard is, or... Howard
0: University is a historically black college or university, um, and it's in Washington D.C. And I don't even remember how I came to that conclusion, but I was like, Howard is for me. <laughs> and I told my academic counselor, I'm only applying to Howard. I don't need to apply anywhere else. And she was like, Well. I think you should also apply to the Cal States at least. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm, but I'm going to Howard. And she was like, I know, but it's just good to have a backup. So I was like, fine. <laughs> so I applied to other Cal States and got into Howard, you know, um, paid my deposit for housing, all this stuff. And then they send me that tuition thing and it's $20,000 a year and I need a parent loan and all this stuff. And it's July. I'm like, bruh. So... I didn't know how I was going to get that loan because I knew my my mom probably could have qualified for it, but I didn't know how that worked, you know, yeah. and there was nobody there to really help me. School was out in the summer. Yeah. And so I kind of felt at a loss because this was my dream. And now I don't know how I'm going to make it work because that's $80,000 over four years. Yeah. I didn't even wrap my head around that much money. Yeah. So at that point, I had to kind of um, pull out. And I told Margaret, who I consider to be my other mom, I was like, you know, I'm just going to stay here and go to the community college and then I'll transfer out after two years. She was like, no, you are not staying in San Jacinto. You know, no good is going to come from that. You need to go to one of these other schools that you got accepted to. So like I said, July, <laughs> school starts in August. So at that point, I had to call all the schools that I was accepted to to see if they had any space in the dorms, you know, for me to come. And most of the dorms are filled by that point. And when I got to Chico State, they were like, yes, come. You know, we have a room. We'll make it work. And no hassle at all. Everything just went so smoothly. But Chico State was eight and a half hours from where I lived, you know. And my mom didn't have a car. (laughs) (laughs) So I was kind of like, how am I going to get there?" I didn't have money, you know, to get on the flight. And it happened so fast that I just was kind of like, all right, we got to figure this out. And I was talking to Lauren, who... I consider to be my sister. Margaret's her mom. And she was like, well, isn't so-and-so going to Chico State too? From our high school. And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and this is someone, you know, that was kind enough to to agree to let me go with them, but I hadn't really spent much time with in yeah. the whole high school, four years of high school. It was just like, yeah, I know them. Yeah. So I reached out to her and I was like, hey, do you think I can ride yeah. up with you guys? And I really rode up with like... A, Some randoms. Like, yeah, a strange stranger and her mom to college Yeah, and they dropped me off at my dorm and that was it, you know? Yeah. And I would say the four years I was in college, I only probably seen her a couple times too. Yeah. <laughs> so it was really just like, okay, you know, we'll give you a ride. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was kind of like, here's your new life, you yeah. know, figure it out. And I did, but on that first day I moved into my dorm, you know, I, I go up, get all my stuff in there and I go to leave and the door handle comes off. So, I'm like, okay, now I'm stuck in my dorm room. And I had to go through all the paperwork. Luckily, there was a phone in the room and I could call the front desk. And I was like, hey, you know, my door handle just came off. I can't get out. And it came to save me. So, it was like a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. But, yeah.
1: Definitely part of your, your resilience factor, you know, <laughs> like your grit stability. And then it also, I think, your story about Howard talks about accessibility and circles back on that point of why you want to teach in a non-traditional setting, right. per se. And you want to make make this as accessible as possible because of having had experiences where it wasn't and mm-hmm. because of knowing the communities that you come from and their access to these sorts of things. Yeah, um, having
0: access to a teacher that looks like you. Yeah. You know, I was on a call today and one of my former students said that. She said, you know, one of the things that brought me a lot of joy when i was at cal poly was the fact that i had two black Mm women professors Mm -hmm. you know and that representation really helped Mm. me to have two strong black women you know in their positions so i want to be that i want to continue to be that for you know kids like me yeah to know that they can see themselves as everything else
1: right yeah i'm really curious moving forward how uh teaching makeups are going to look because we know that
0: right yeah. so that was one thing I wanted to write to these oh now you're all about you know equity <laughs> can we talk about this hiring process <laughs> because I know I was qualified mm. and I have really good I do stuff yeah <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah i have a really good I CV. know I have really good letters of recommendation yeah. and it's just very and that's one thing we could talk about that the the process of getting into academia, what that looks like, but also just the, the qualifications and having to publish. And I'm not against publishing at all, but publishing is so standard and uniform that you have to write a specific type of way Mm -hmm. and everything else just doesn't fit. You Mm -hmm. know, if, if I don't like that, I think, That there should be more diversity Mm -hmm. in the writing styles and what people are interested in in these journals Mm -hmm. but even the accessibility of journals is a whole other thing so we do this research for people who are in academia and the average person doesn't have access to it Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to me because how is it really going to help people Mm -hmm. when all of that work is kind of bound up in these ivory towers Mm -hmm. so for me I, I haven't really gone the research route I'm the teacher, Like, I identify as a teacher, but also as an applied person. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the work that I've done has been on the ground. You know, I've done a lot of things in the prison system. um, Kind of going in there and working with the men who are incarcerated and trying to use some of the resources that were available at the university Mm -hmm. and transfer those to the prison.
1: It makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense to... I mean, I'm not... Sure, how many um, people of color actually stick to the traditional routes of academia because mm-hmm. it's not very serving? I, I, when you talk about like the journals and the way you have to write, that's exactly what the legal field is there's mm-hmm. one way to write and that's it. Um, so yeah, you, you can't know.
0: put people in these boxes,
1: yeah, 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 we're, we're seeing that for sure. Okay, right. let's do rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, Favorite color?
0: Yellow. Mustard yellow.
1: Favorite number?
0: Five. Seven. Five and seven. I have two favorite numbers. My son's name is seven. My favorite number is five because that's my line number.
1: Oh, what's a line? Just Understand real quick.
0: No. <laughs> my line in my sorority when I pledged, um, I'm a part of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Mm, okay. Pi Chapter, Spring 08, Chupa State.
1: Very nice. What's your favorite word?
0: Bruh. Really? <laughs>
1: Bruh. Um, something that brings you joy.
0: Black people. Mm. Black joy. Black joy is resistance. Hmm.
1: What's your favorite environmental feature?
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite thing in the environment? Trees. Oh. Particularly oak trees. Mm. And it's not just because I'm from Oakland. City of trees. But oh. I do love oak trees. I feel very connected to the oak tree.
1: You know, I'm thinking about my time in Oakland and I don't remember seeing a single oak tree. What? Yeah, like, I don't remember paying attention to the trees. That's, that's not sad. a good... Yeah, that's not a good thing. Something you're hopeful for.
0: Victory is mine. I'm hopeful for victory. Mm. Um, when I think about victory now, I think about the victory lap. I think about the marathon continues. I think about Nipsey Hussle. <laughs> mm. All the things. Um, all, all the, the victory stings.
1: Yeah. Number one fan.
0: Who's my number one yeah. fan? Or who am I a number one fan of? Can I just my shot? I, just, I, mean, can, I guess you can go. I
1: mean, you can answer both if you want. Um,
0: who's my number one fan? My son. Mm. I know it's kind of mushy and probably cliche, but I really feel that God put him into my life. To tell me the things I need to hear at exactly the right moments. Mm,
1: I just remembered your graduation speech when you got your PhD. You
0: remember? I don't. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're like, I want to thank my son. And he's like, <laughs> he's like That's my son. <laughs> and she's like yelling from the stage. No,
0: I had a mummy. No, I, oh, I could have sworn that. Yeah, you. I was holding him. Oh. Little baby. Little baby, said oh. Looking just like a grown man.
1: Oh, I think you also said, I want to thank my mama. <laughs> <laughs> Super cute, okay. Last question finish this statement water is.
0: (laughs) I almost did it. (laughs) Water is Mm. okay. So, so many things. The first thought that pops into my head is Bender, but because. Seven has been watching Avatar, the waterbender, the mm-hmm. airbender, the earthbender, the firebender, all these things. So I think of, like, magic, I think of, you know, alchemy, I think of all those things. So water is... I feel like there's only one way to answer this, and water is life. But, mm. like, you, you don't want everyone to say water is life.
1: I mean, but I, the first thing that came to your mind was Bender, so yeah. that's great.
0: Water is water. I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was um, her brother, Raymond. No relation. No, yeah, of of no relations. Answer last week. Well, that's all we have for tonight. Unique. Mahalo for being on Thrive and Resilience. Um, I honor you. I'm proud of you. I'm rooting for you, and I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Juneteenth. Um, and tune in next time. I don't know when that will be because it's a lot week, a lot easier to record with the person in person i haven't figured out the rest of that but uh she go all right you. love you peace, peace.